You're going to see the interview everyone is going to be talking about. Wagon wheel, what to see? What do I think of her? Yes. I don't think of her. Then we become divas as opposed to just strong women. Ah, oh, coughing during my interview, really? It feels uh, reductive. Hello and welcome to Big Diva Energy, the podcast for and about fabulous people being fucking excellent. I'm Holly Morgan and my husband Tom is also here. This wicked witch! And have we got a fucking corker of a diva for you today. Our subject is an OBE, an award-winning actress, activist, firebrand, legend and the greatest chat show guest of all time. And potentially the first person to say fuck on national television. It is the fucking fabulous Miriam Margulies. And with us to discuss the magnificent Miriam is one of Scotland's finest divas. She is a powerhouse vocalist and a lightning quick raconteur, towering above the competition on the cabaret scene. Her twin brother, who she's very, some might say, inseparably close to, is Nathan Sparling, Chief Executive of HIV Scotland, a national policy, advocacy and campaigning organisation that aims to prevent new HIV transmissions and ensure that everyone living with HIV can live long, healthy and happy lives. She's here with us today to bring a little happiness, spread a little sparkle, give us personal anecdotes featuring Miriam, and if we're lucky, she might even provide us with some wise words and advice in her capacity as an agony aunt. Our guest is the one, the only... Nancy Clem. Hello. Hey, babe. How are you How doing? Are you? Oh, I'm not too bad. It's nice to be in a country that's quite, you know, it's quite sane. Yeah, we're so um, fucking jealous. It, yeah. What's it like? It's just nice. <laughs> the sun is shining. Do you know what? I've not even had to turn to alcohol that much. This Goodness lockdown. me. Could you imagine me sober? <laughs> I, I'm struggling with the concept because I mean I'm already three sheets to the wind, just to I get mean, through the come day. On. No, this is the first time I've had to put on some lipstick before at this time of the day. You're looking so glam. Thank you for whapping on Thank a lip you. for us. I think you could have done the same, Tom. Yeah, I'm you sorry. Could have I've at least met idea. our level. Uh, but yeah, I'm, we're ever so jealous of you across the border with a functioning uh, government and stable leadership. We have a wannabe apprentice contestant. And someone that thinks that um, global activism is, is akin to the Game of Thrones, which oh. is the most recent news of yeah, today. absolutely astonishing. Dominic Raab, in, I mean, you, I think your description of him fits him perfectly. You, Tom says he looks like a burnt ventriloquist dummy. And, and I think I've heard dummies say more coherent, intelligent, mm. cogent things. I mean, ha- mm. Anyway, enough about them and <laughs> toxic masculinity. More about us and fabulousness. Thank you so much for joining us. It's an absolute pleasure. We haven't seen you since Edinburgh. Well, you have seen me since Oh, no, Edinburgh. I have. Oh, my God, Tom hasn't seen you. I I've am. seen you. No. We were just reminiscing about our last night out, which was when we came yeah. to see you at the Phoenix Arts. Me and Ruben came. And exactly. a friend of the pod, James Lever. And you sold out the fiends, babe. I know, not, not just sold out the Phoenix. You know, they had to double the size of the phoenix i remember the phoenix when there was a wall that separated two rooms in the phoenix and they literally had to break that wall down to fit in the number of people that were there to see my show that one you literally smashed the fourth wall yeah you turned up five minutes well not late but you were like one of the last people to enter so you got the seats right at the back i know although that is my favorite table under the stairs 
We used to have a table there that we donated to the Phoenix. My friend Chris bought it. It was a table that Helen Dallimore fell through in a production of uh, Too Close to the Sun, which was a, a Ernest Hemingway musical. Uh, and Chris donated that, that table to the Phoenix and he used to sit in that exact location. Uh, but since the refurb, they have got rid of the table. Uh, they've but, also had to make some changes since your show, obviously since they've had to smash that wall down and they've put up a very expensive curtain Oh yeah, the to, curtain. to partition the room. <laughs> yeah, that curtain's amazing. Which I think we gave some money to, didn't we? We did, we donated the curtain. Absolutely, oh. we support the fiends all the way through. And you know, it's lovely to have, you know, memories of being outside and seeing a live performer smashing it. It, it, was it does feel like that was my last night out, which yeah. is just bizarre. I know, because it was months ago. Uh, but February the 26th or something, God. which feels like, you know, years ago. And in reality, it was only four months ago, but we've been locked inside ever since. I know. But you and your twin have been keeping busy, haven't you? Yeah, we've been keeping busy. We've performed in the same lineup since. Excellent. That must be odd sharing a bill with your twin. Yeah, and I was talking about you. Oh, me! <laughs> <laughs> I know you're so modest, Holly, but no. come on. Oh, thank you. It was an absolute pleasure to contribute to HIV Scotland's uh, fundraiser. And we will obviously get to plugs and hugs, but there's another one coming up, so don't miss out, divas. Donate. Mm. Um, so thank you so much for joining us. We would like to ask you the iconic questions that we ask all our guests. Mm. Are you ready, my love? I am ready. Okay. I will always love you. Who's your ride or die diva? It's got to be Celine Dion. Oh, oh great choice. Such a great choice. It, it, it's just got, to, there's literally no one, no one better, I don't no, think. No, I mean, I, I don't know if you've watched every bit of recorded uh, footage of Celine Dion like I have. You've certainly tried. Um, but, you know, I sat through that wake and I you have never it. seen someone be more stunning at a funeral than Celine Dion at her own husband's funeral. Incredible. Wake, you know. I mean, oh, that live stream on the webcam in the oh, Notre Dame Basilica in Montreal. Oh. Can you imagine being that stateswoman-like and controlled in that in that moment? I mean, that's just the first lady of the world. Incredible. Yeah, she is almost like the first lady, of, well, of the world. She is, but also she she's quite statesman-like for Canada, isn't she? She does mm. a lot of outreach and stuff. She's done more to advance the French language than anyone in history. Incredible. And the Vokes, there's no comparison. Can't argue with the Vokes. She's the, she, I think she's probably the finest living singer. And her fashion is everything. And she's just got better as well. Yeah. You know, and more, more zany, more, you know, she's become a, a new woman after the passing of René Angelio, which is obviously such a shame. But for her, it feels like there's been a lease of life. Yeah. yeah. A yeah. second act. Yeah. Or cocaine. Or cocaine, did you say? Or cocaine. <laughs> or just piles and piles of coke. <laughs> Either way, she's doing a great job. She's having an absolute yeah. ball. <laughs> I actually, I, I actually um, when I was in Montreal, took a bike and tried to cycle around uh, the cemetery in uh, Montreal to find René Angelio's um, grave. Amazing. But it is, it is the third biggest cemetery in the world. Oh, and no. I did not find it, unfortunately. Oh, no. The fact you had to take a bike is evidence yeah. enough of how big it I is. I took flowers. I took flowers. Oh, oh, that's very nice of you. I'm sure, it, you know, if he's looking down on us, it would have been appreciated all the same. <laughs> well, um, I, I did have thought they'd have signposted it. 
Surely other people well, that's go. What yeah. I thought. He's it's a, a state funeral. Yeah. Absolutely. If you go and see Karl Marx in Highgate Cemetery, they point the way. <laughs> sort it out. Very similar <laughs> historical figures, those two. <laughs> <laughs> Never thought this would be the arena in which we would compare Karl Marx and Rene Angelil. But, <laughs> but here we are. Here we are. Times is strange. And only one of them has left behind a model of his own hand. <laughs> What's it called, that thing like she a death mask. Yeah, a death, like a death mask, mask of his hand. hand. <laughs> Incredible. Who runs the world? Which diva would you give the nuclear codes to? You know, I thought about this, and then I thought I was being biased, mm-hmm. and then I thought about it again, and I literally think Miriam Margulies is the person that should run the world. Okay, brilliant. Tell me for why. Well, she just seems to have her finger on the pulse about what everyone is thinking and is willing to say fuck on national TV. Yeah. yeah like, yeah, not, yeah. Just, not just the Graham Norton show, like, this morning. Yeah. Like, that's, <laughs> you know, that's more epic than anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think, you know, she she thought what everyone was thinking uh, and, and was so modest and kind as well at the same time. Um, not what everyone was thinking, but, you know, when Boris Johnson yeah. had his little coronavirus scare... And I think she was just being honest about how she felt was, you know, at one moment she could have thought, you know, I don't care. But actually she was really compassionate and then hope she he got through it. And yeah. that's the kind of leader that you want. I, and, you know, she's such a hippie. She's not going to be using those nuclear codes. No, no absolutely. I absolutely agree. I mean, we're we'll obviously going to dive right into this business because we're up to date with, with Diva News. She got cleared by Ofcom and we'll get right into that. But I totally agree with you. I think her response was something that we all, I mean, a lot of people resonated with. And she was just walking us through the way she felt. And, yeah. and you know, do. the honesty of someone so pure mm. as Miriam Margulies that's willing to say that and not feel like she has to go to speaking and elocution lessons, although she speaks fabulously. Yeah. But, you know, it's, she doesn't have to go and be media managed or, or, or anything like that. She's just her. And that's the kind of politician we need in the world. Absolutely. It's I true. couldn't agree more. Okay. If I could turn back time, which diva are you sending back into which period of history? So I had to think about this long and hard, but you know, I think I'd send one of the wannabe millennial divas okay. back, back to meet the real divas. Okay, oh. amazing, yeah. Like, I think that, you know, someone like Taylor Swift or what's her name? Um, Ariana Grande? I, well, you could choose Ariana Grande. I wasn't going to choose her, but you could choose Ariana Grande. Um, I mean, I, I think she's quite, she's, she's allowed the diva ship now. Yeah, she's uh, under stripes. Miley Cyrus, that's what I was going to say. I, mean, oh, I think right. she's just a joke of a diva. Um, I think, you know, <laughs> sending them back to grow up in the life of someone like Julie Andrews is, is the kind of, you know, learn, learn how to earn respect as a diva. Exactly. Oh, earn it. Or like diva finishing school. Yes. Very good. Yes. Walk around with a pile of books on their head. Yeah. That's Shout to get their assistant. <laughs> yeah. It'll be the first time Miley Cyrus has seen a book. Yeah. Well, do you know what? It's ironic because her godmother is Dolly, who is one of the most Ooh. generous donators of books to yeah. to humanity. So go and have a word with Dolly, get a book, pile it on your head, walk around and come and see us in in a bit. I think it's gotta be very clear, hasn't it, that her godmother She's didn't have much pretty... interaction with her. Yeah. <laughs> Miley Cyrus actually sprayed the um, dressing room of J.Y. in heaven, uh, spray-painted uh, lots of profanities in the dressing room there. Did she? she? Performed there. Yeah. 
So when I used to DJ in that lovely venue every Friday night, I used to have to sit in front of a mirror that she'd spray paint over. Fucking hell. Was that in her, like, sort of peak uh, tongue-out twerking times? She didn't have a fucking clue, did she, love her? Like, well, we covered this a little bit on a Nicki Minaj episode, but, like, just just pipe down. (laughs) Pipe down. Pipe down, Miley! Just know your limits. Know your limits, exactly. Well, Mm. material girl... What's on your rider? This is a funny question because I remember getting the first contract through ever about mm-hmm. 10 years ago where I was asked what my rider was and I was like, what? <laughs> and I've, it then made me realise, you know, I've never been that much of a diva. I've never said I want just the blue M&Ms. Yeah. Or that I want um, anything, you know, more than a bottle of vodka, a couple of bottles of cocaine, co- Coca-Cola. <laughs> and... <laughs> Does your not come in bottles in London? <laughs> um, Coca Cola, some ice, and a fan because I hate being too hot. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's a perfectly reasonable request. You meant a fan Actually, as in a young gentleman with a open shirt? Yes, obviously. Just constantly the, fanning. Yeah. One of my favourite places to get ready is actually the cellar of the Duke of Wellington in London mm. um, because they have such massive air conditioning units in the cellar and just stand next to it and that like freeze dries your makeup on. <laughs> so there's nothing better when you're slightly a slightly larger lady in the depths of summer in London sweating <laughs> your face off than having your makeup freeze dried onto your face. <laughs> The cellar of a dingy pub. Mm, it keeps you grounded as well, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Lovely. You mean it's a face crack? Yeah. <laughs> well, this leads to my next question, Nance. Have you ever been a diva? I think I have been a diva many, many times. I mean, it obviously depends on what being a diva means to you. Of course. But, you know, as a, as an epic performer. One of my favourite moments was um, I used to um, have a residency in Admiral Duncan, Long Live the Duncan. And on there on a Monday night, I used to ask the audience to buy me tequila, which I think is one, that's diva enough. I used to to set myself a challenge to down as many tequila as I could during the instrumental of And I'm Telling You. And I don't know how many divas you know that can do that. I don't. <laughs> I did manage to get up to 17 shots. Oh, fucking hell. In 34 seconds. <laughs> how did you deal with the rest of the song? Uh, I finished the song on my back <laughs> and thankfully managed to um, get the last belted note out. And then I did have to get carried out in an ambulance. Oh, my oh. God. Oh, you know what that is diva though that is giving that's going i'm gonna give you the most you finished the show finished the show yeah the audience's appreciation of your art was more important than your health and safety yeah think of the washing up though and now i wonder why i've got gout (laughs) the henry the eighth of drag Talk about my waistline like that. Uh, <laughs> no, I meant the early one, the Jonathan. Oh, Jonathan Rhys Myers. Myers. Yes. Mm. Excellent. And my final question: What does being a diva mean to you? I think diva sometimes gets a bad rep. Yeah. Yeah. yeah agreed. Some people think of diva as the finger snapping, uh, sunglasses wearing, bitchy queens. Yeah. 
Um, and I, I just that just I don't get that. You know, Celine Dion being the ultimate diva yeah. for me, I think goes to show what I think diva means, which is someone that's just you know very on top of their game, yeah. very stylish, very fashionable, and a loving person. Yeah, I love that. I think we've had the the caring and the the honesty that sort of stuff's come up. Obviously, the being a being a person who delivers, mm-hmm. for example, like oh. the Lipone definition. But that's really interesting about the fashion as well. That, I don't think anyone's ever given us that answer. Yeah, that a diva oh, requires the fashion. Yeah, beautiful gowns. Beautiful gowns. Yeah. yeah, but it does. I mean, a diva isn't truly a diva until they've you know popped up on the MTV Music Awards or something in some incredible Paris outfit. Fashion Week. That's yeah. the divas. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. And I think, yeah, I love that you've chosen Celine because she is, she's the picture of professionalism and excellence. And what mm. is more diva than having a blazer on backwards? Nothing. <laughs> it says I don't need these arms because I'm not carrying anything, am I? And it's white, so... <laughs> I tell you what, I feel I start to feel like I've got an agenda against it, but I do think like a lot of that image that you were saying that people have of the of the you know the finger clicking and the sunglasses is Mariah. It's Mariah Carey. It is Mariah Carey. She's brought that on divas a lot of the. I mean, I know there is a you know there's been a long history of you know telling women to to pipe down when they're asking for what they what they want and stuff, but she has really brought disrepute to the diva name. Yeah, she has. Uh, we also discovered we've been doing that face app thing that everyone's doing, you know, the gender swap thing you can do. Uh, we discovered that if you do that app for Tom, it is Mariah Carey. It's wow. actually, it's quite uncanny, actually, how, how much yeah. your your diva Mariah's long lost brother. Yeah, <laughs> it turns out. You and have... I'm also always about twenty years younger than I am for some reason. Yeah. I look like a teenager. <laughs> is that why you're bitter? That's you've why not got the money. Yeah, absolutely. Bitter, not better. Thank you so much for answering those iconic questions, my darling. We'll take a little wee break. Um, that was actually for urination. I wasn't being sassy about Scotland. <laughs> I would never, never dare to appropriate your language like that. Um, well, we are going to take a wee break and a wee break, and then we come back. We'll get into Maria Margulies. Let's do it. And we're back. <laughs> Okay, so let's get into it. Miriam was born in Oxford on the 18th of May 1941 to Ruth and Joseph Margulies. The Margulies are a Jewish family with ancestors from Belarus and Poland. In 2012, uh, Miriam actually visited the Polish town of Margonin, where her grandfather was from. And after arriving in the UK, her father's family set up in Glasgow. Uh, Nancy, where, where are you from? Where did you grow up? I'm from Fife. And and I'm from a little town called Glenrothes, which is one of Scotland's new towns. So it's less than 60 years old or something. But I always tell people I'm from Dunfermline because it's slightly more posh. (laughs) (laughs) And and Dunfermline was the ancient capital of Scotland. Oh, lovely. Right. So it's either the ancient capital or the 60-year-old town. (laughs) (laughs) I know which one I'd be going with. I think you made the right choice. What is it, yeah. 60 years old? Are we still making towns 60 Fuck, years ago? Yeah, apparently so. I thought we'd done all that. It was all the it was a it was a new mining town. Um, it might have been more than 60 years ago now. I, time always stops still for me. <laughs> I always say that I did things seven years ago when it's probably about 13 years ago now. But because I I remember the first time I said I did that seven years ago, and it just it stayed seven years. It's just always seven years. That's like how I'm always seven in German. There you because go. I can only remember learning Ich bin sieben Jahre alt. There you go. I'm always seven years, <laughs> always seven years old in German. <laughs> and that is diva. <laughs> Miriam has colourful memories of her mother cooking uh, in her early life, overeating, and doing the housework in the nude. Apparently it upset the au pairs at first, but they got used to it. 
Nancy, would you recommend nude housework? Where I live at the moment, no. <laughs> Why? Because I literally I have these big, almost floor to ceiling windows. But I do, I do think it's quite liberating, you know, doing the dishes with your bits out. Very freeing. I would recommend not making a cup of tea. I would be worried about splashback in general. That happens to be the other Certainly, day. Did. not being a naked chef, I think that's quite dangerous. You know, when you've yeah. got the oil sizzling away. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, it wasn't. Sorry, it wasn't a cup of tea. It was oil. Yeah, I you think. were doing. You were making breakfast, weren't you? Yeah. Yeah. Miriam's mum sounds like the kind, she sounds like a diva for starters, wandering around, doing, mm. just cra- cracking on with, with other people who weren't her family just there. Why not? I'm paying your wages. You're going to watch me in the nude doing some cooking. That feels very much like you're keen on taking advantage of positions of authority. It sounds very much like the justification for <laughs> some very questionable behaviour. Now I've said that out loud. It's absolutely not okay, is it? You know what? I'm paying you. You can look at me naked. <laughs> that is literally Louis C.K. <laughs> now get on stage and do your type 10. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay, I'm revising my opinion of Miriam's mother. Uh, <laughs> they were very close. Uh, we'll delve into that in more detail later. Um, she describes her as being a vivid, ebullient personality, but very shrewd. Joseph, my father, was a GP, but it was mother who made the money. She bought houses to rent to students and became the finest landlord in Oxford, with tenants including the young Jacob Rothschild, Tarek Alley and Ken Loach. That's a quiet wow. list. Yeah. yeah. And you might also know this, I don't know, uh, Nancy, but Miriam is quite well known for also being a landlady like her mother. Uh, she owns yes. multiple properties across the UK and one in Australia, which is available for hire. Owning property is obviously uh, Aspirational Diva 101. We know this from Destiny's Child's Independent Woman Part 1. Nancy, let's get into it. You lived near Miriam herself, didn't you? you? Did. In I did indeed. No, I, I didn't live near her drug um, drug mansion. Yes, that's um, in Kent, I think, yeah. Uh, but I Margate. did live a, a street away. Her street backed onto my street in Clapham. Oh, incredible. Can you imagine being that close to a diva? I just, I think I'd expire. It's presumably, it might be, you might have absorbed a lot of it and that's what's informed mm. Nancy Clench in her, in her most diva moments. Yeah. You've I taken on a bit of Margulies. I actually used to walk up and down her street after a night in the two brewers, just hoping that she'd be outside and want to speak to a drag queen that couldn't walk in heels. <laughs> Presumably she's on her way back from the two brewers, but... Yeah. Were you singing you uh, hits from My Fair Lady, wandering our town? <laughs> or the... it's... I don't have the range. Yeah, oh, that's untrue. I've heard you, babe. Um, <laughs> so when you saw her out and about, was she, did she greet people warmly or did she keep her head down? What was her kind of on-the-street persona? She was very, she's a very nice woman, I think, in, in, to people. I've never seen her out with her garden, though. I've never seen her go to the shop. Oh, really? Yeah, I think she gets deliveries. Yeah, why not? Diva. She, she is the kind of person that I imagine stays at home a lot of the time. Yeah. I she... mean, I think she's glad that she can do the Graham Norton show from her bedroom now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Although she was, she was on, it was quite... Quite emotive. Like she was on. Uh, she did. Mm. Louis Theroux has recently done a podcast uh, series in which she talks to people that he's not got to meet before, and they sort of open up. And he's like, "How are you?" And she gets quite honest quite quickly and says, "I'm actually really struggling," because mm. mm. she says that she obviously she's she's quite a bit older now. And then she's saying, you know, one of the things that she, the only thing she says she does well is read and talk to people. Mm. She's that's that's all I can do. I can't do anything else, and I can't. I can only do one of those things. But there's no. There's nowhere for that to go. So she's, yeah, she's sort of, it's quite, yeah, it was quite profound in the way that she sort of, she goes, well, 
Louis like, well, I think, you know, obviously with kids around, it's quite difficult as well. And she's like, it is. And I think people are having different experiences and some are harder than others. But I do, at least you have people around. I'm yeah. on my own. Mm. And I was like, oh, God, yeah. Miriam. Well, I think that's why we love her, isn't she? Because she doesn't filter. She'll just tell you how no. she's feeling. Like, how are you? Oh, I'm actually feeling really, really lonely. Yeah. Um, which, which is so rare in a celebrity, that kind of unfettered response. Yeah adore her but also that awareness that she is a raconteur and a, she is a she's a talker yeah yeah so yeah i reckon those like you said i reckon getting those zoom calls to graham graham norton is probably yeah keeping her busy up on her list. Oh. anyway um of her father miriam recalls him as being more straight laced i loved him but we never understood each other he didn't like music or the theater but my mother insisted on having a piano and she and i used to sing music hall songs together Quite frankly, that does sound quite unbearable. <laughs> this poor, shy Scottish doctor just wants to get on with his life and they're singing, my old man, in the front room or whatever. <laughs> uh, I always forgot that, that, um, that her father was Scottish, but she does yeah. do the most phenomenal Scottish accent. Yes, yeah. Is her character in Harry Potter Scottish? She is, isn't she? No. No? I, I don't... I've, no? No? Professor Professor Sprout is not Scottish. Oh, I'm think. thinking of um, Maggie's one, aren't I? She's Scottish. You're thinking of Maggie's yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. How do they compare in terms of accents? Well, I, I think that Mary Margley's um, Scottish accent is better than Maggie Smith. What did she do it in? I think she just does it on every great show. <laughs> <laughs> she just wheels it out. The top of a hat is what she does it in. <laughs> do we know her from anything but these? <laughs> I don't think I do. <laughs> Well, we'll kind of get into that. Her career is um, is an interesting one. She had to grow into her casting, which is why she kind of got famous a lot later. Mm. So Miriam's memories of school are all about her acting up and being the form wag. Uh, she remembers, when I was about 12 years old, I fainted, and she's put the inverted commas around that, in the playground. Miss Brown, the biology teacher, was very concerned, but Miss Jackson, the maths teacher, just kicked me and said... Oh, she's shamming. But Miss Jackson was quite right. Still, I had to be carried in and missed the afternoon's lessons. Another time, I came in wearing my mother's fur coat and heels, pretending to be a parent looking for a school for her daughter. I'm sorry, can we spiral back on Miss Jackson? If you're nasty. Did, did she... She kicked her. <laughs> did she, oh, yeah. <laughs> she yeah, just she kicked her. She kicked her. <laughs> it's a different time, just Holly. Kick. It was a different time, wasn't it? It was a different time. Just give her a little bit of a kick. <laughs> So she was nasty, it turns out. Yeah, it turns out. Miss Jackson. <laughs> right. Uh, so, well, in terms of your school experience, Nancy, what was the... Or maybe you're, you... Obviously, you had a twin to look after you, but uh, in terms of the school experience, were you a good girl or were you also a wag? I was one of the people at school that never got a punishment exercise and was never sent to detention. Oh, clean bill of health. I feel like there's a butt well, coming, though. Yeah. Well, I just find it really strange to look back at myself at school and think why is I such a boring twat (laughs) 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 that really got me (laughs) I just don't understand you know towards the end of my school life I left school a year earlier than all of my peers Mm -hmm. because I was bored of school and wanted to go to university and I had the grades she got the grades she's got the grades um, it, there was a, a period of time in, there was like four weeks in Scottish schools where you move up to the next class right. before the summer, before summer. 
So everyone in my year moved up to sixth year, which is the final year. Um, and I was like, well, I'm not going up to sixth year because I'm leaving. Um, but they made me stay in school. So I became the assistant head teacher's assistant. <laughs> like, how much more a teacher's pet can you get? <laughs> they made it you a faculty. <laughs> <laughs> It was my job. It was my job to go and like get people who were in trouble out of class. I'd be like, I'd knock on the door, and be like, "Mr. Allen would like to see you, Jeremy," and like just like what? what? Oh my God! So you were right, you're knocking on the people who you were literally yeah. just in a class with. By year twelve, you're on the board of governors. <laughs> By the time I was fifteen, I was the chair of the local community council, Tom. <laughs> Which I think is quite a Miriam Margulies kind of thing. I like, really I She was on the community council. Yeah, absolutely. I know she's quite politically engaged, but I can see her as being a local, a local politico. Yeah. <laughs> a local, I bet she's got a lives for a local council. Oh yeah, I bet she's there every week. Yeah. Oh, she's the one at the she's, meetings. Yeah, she's at the Labour meetings. <laughs> she's asking the tough questions yeah. of the local councillors. Say no, comrade. <laughs> I will say fuck no. if I want to. Not in Clapham. Not in Clapham. <laughs> Incredible. Um. Okay, so other school memories include her toga falling down and exposing her breasts during a performance of Juliet's falling down. There is no way that she did not specifically... Drop her en- toga. Drop her toga. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> falling down my ass. Then she was off to Newnham College. Did I pronounce that right? Newnham? Newnham, yeah. Obviously, I'm asking you because it's one of the colleges of Cambridge uh, to study English. And it was while she was there that she made her infamous appearance on a university challenge in 1963. Mm. All the way back then. She alleges that frustrated by a starter question, she said fuck and was the first person on British television to do so. Uh, so we couldn't find the footage anywhere. Not saying that she didn't do it, but the receipts are not available. Either way, it's a pretty good story. It's a great story. It's a great it's story. A great story. I, bet she fu- I bet she did. I can absolutely see her doing yeah, it. Yeah, even if she had like, muttered it, I think I, I, 100% she did. You can see pictures of her on the panel, but I couldn't find the, the video to go right. with it. Oh. But she, oh, she's, she's exactly as you'd imagine. She's like, she's looked like Miriam Margulies all her oh. life. <laughs> and she's just, oh, oh, that's a young Miriam Margulies. I know that sounds like a really banal thing to say. <laughs> but you know how sometimes like a diva takes a while to grow into her... Her look. No, no. Mm. She she had the look. Yeah, like all people. Like You look at like Peter O'Toole when he was yeah. old. And, when, and you can see it's the same person, but you're not like, oh, look, P- young Peter. Like, it doesn't... No, it's just like, Miriam Margulies Miriam is like, Margulies. there she is. Yeah. <laughs> you can imagine her saying fuck after getting a question wrong. Yeah, and absolutely. And being really pissed off with herself. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think because she seems just reading between the lines of her interviews and stuff, like... She's, she's quite down. So like, oh, I don't know how I got in. Oh, I, uh, my parents kind of, my parents knew someone on the board and like she's quite self-deprecating still about it, which um, is a, a quite a common female trait, isn't it? Mm. We, we, we're encouraged to not own our successes or whatever. But she's, ob- she's obviously fiercely intelligent and really bright and it would be annoying. And a lot of the time, as we'll get into now, so she joined the, um, she joined the Footlights, which is like the, yep. the comedy society and felt like she had a lot to prove because she was the only woman. And she was alongside uh, John Cleese, Graham Chapman, Tim Brooke Taylor and Bill Oddie. Uh, they were her, her vintage. And she said of this period, uh, they thought I was pushy and didn't appreciate someone else being funny. They wanted to sleep with women, not have them as competition. Ooh, a damning indictment Ooh. there and like I love that she's still talking about it all these years later 
Well, has it changed? <laughs> no. Yeah, exactly. She's still chatting about it. Yeah, she's still chatting about it. She's not, you know, because those are, those are big names. Uh, they're, you know, apart from the, in the late Tim Brooke Taylor, everyone else is still uh, alive mm-hmm. and is kind of at the top of the, uh, you know, the establishment in terms of the comedy. And she's, and she's literally never, never, never stopped talking about it, which I adore. Yeah. Um, and yeah, as we say, all too common in comedy for women to be thought of as lesser or not funny or just supposed to be like an ornament or a, a setup so they can have the punchline. Uh, Obviously, she's fucking hilarious as well. Yeah. But it seems interesting that yeah, she did. She went straight into drama, didn't she? Mm-hmm. Like once she, we'll get to, obviously to the to the radio career that that kicked her off. But you know, unlike all the rest of them, she didn't go into comedy. Yeah. It sort of generally seems like a lot of people go. I mean, I know Emma Thompson's done a fair amount of dramatic stuff, but mm. generally speaking, like when you go into Footlights, the, the the idea is that that will be your launch pad for a comedy career, and that's not what she did, is it? Nope. I think for for women, even up until well now and recently, coming off a stand up comedy stage and being told, "Oh, you're the first woman I've found funny," yeah, is all too common. So yeah, you, know, you, can, you can imagine why someone has chosen a, a, a career in in drama and radio, um, where you don't have to sit and speak to the general public who are otherwise <laughs> arseholes, yeah. um, in order to make your money. Yeah, absolutely. Not you though, Nancy, you're out there, tackling them, aren't you? on the front line. Um, it's Someone's really... got to do it. Absolutely. <laughs> Margley's isn't, you're the next up. Yeah. Uh, when I talk about it, I feel like I'm being silly, she says. How long was it? Uh, how long ago was it? Over 50 years. It shouldn't matter, but they showed me such cruelty. Like feels like that's stuck with her, doesn't it? It really does. And that's you know that's bullying, isn't it? That's what happens. Yeah, bullying doesn't go away just because you get older, does it? You still remember the way people made you feel. Yeah. Especially at that age. Do you think she's ever worked with any of them since? Oh, I bet she has. I bet we should dig it out. She must have worked with Cleese. Yeah, that's yeah. what I was thinking. Yeah. He seems the logical one, doesn't she? I'm sure she must have had a pie in something like Fish Called Wonder or something. Yeah. Even if it was just a smallie. Yeah. I mean, she she forgave Tim Brooke Taylor. She said he was a nice man, a very decent man. He apologised, apparently. But Bill Oddie's the one she singles out, actually, more often than not. She Mm. says, I've never liked Bill Oddie much. Me neither. No, me neither. (laughs) (laughs) Can't stand the fucker. Can't picture him, yeah. I mean, mm. he's just a fatuous old cunt. He's just a stupid sketcher. And now he talks about birds. Yeah, he does. Not, yeah. Oh, it's him. Oh. Yeah, that one. Yeah, that one, yeah, the yeah, Goonie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, somewhat tellingly, she does attribute her treatment uh, at the hands of these guys to uh, anti Semitism. She says she thought they thought of her as a, quote, pushy little Jew. Uh, which is, wow. again, very brave of her to articulate what she thought the problem was. Yeah. As a 19-year-old uh, Jewish woman in Cambridge at that time. Um, also, like, Newnham is a, is a all-female college, so it feels like maybe she potentially chose an environment that was going to be more uh, more feminine. And then, yeah, because of wanting to, you know, be seen and perform, she had to mm. enter into an arena which was quite masculine and competitive and potentially anti-Semitic. Yeah. She talks about her early experiences and things like that and it, it being very much apparent to her that Britain is an anti-Semitic country. Mm. Um, I know obviously given what's going on at the moment and stuff with Black Lives Matter there's a lot of people denying our yeah uh, mm. any sort of prejudices that we might have in- baked into our country but she is very specific about saying the UK has an anti-Semitism problem and yeah. it has not gone away 
and if anything, you know, obviously in the Labour Party and stuff, it's got worse. But yeah, well, she's she's a Labour Party member, isn't she? And she, she said is. about uh, about Corbyn's tenure that she didn't think he was a bad man, uh, but that he just didn't do enough. She says in the Louis Theroux one that he was just that he's not a bad man, and he's ga- she knows for a fact that he's not an anti-Semite. However, mm. he's a he was a very poor leader. That's what she says. Yeah, she's fair. Which I would agree. Very reasonable assessment. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Yet again, we're so, she's always. She puts the nail on the head. This is why you give her the nuclear codes. Yes, exactly. absolutely. Very balanced, reasonable. Although she'd woman. probably fire them once and it would be at Bill Oddie. <laughs> <laughs> Blow him in his little bird box off the face of the earth. <laughs> um, so it was Boz performing with the footlights that she was spotted by the Beeb radio producer who gave her his card and told her to get in touch when she graduated. So she sat on it for a whole year earning money by selling encyclopedias and doing market research. But even after all that time had passed, the producer still remembered her and brought her into the fold of the BBC, uh, kick-starting her illustrious career by placing her with a part in the 40-strong BBC drama Rep The Rep, company. yeah. The Rep. Uh, I, do you know what? I know they all went on to be really successful, but I really hope there was a moment where she was like, oh, he's given me his card and he didn't give it to them. I'd really love yeah. that. In the bar? Like, yeah, swanning around the ADC bar. I say, Miriam, I say, Miriam, who was that you were just talking to? Oh, just a, just a oh, producer just from BBC. the BBC. Yes, I've got his card. Fuck you, Oddie. <laughs> <laughs> You're fine, Chapman and Cleese, because you'll do Python and that's... Yeah. <laughs> and you get a free pass, but the rest of you... Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Odd little riff. <laughs> Odd little riff about it, Bill Oddie. Um, so here is where we would normally have given you a little extra snack because we're extra. What do you think we would have given you, Nance? What would have been your Miriam-themed snack, do you reckon? Oh, a Miriam-themed snack? Oh, it'd have to be something herbalicious, you know, yes. from Professor yes. Sprout. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a mandrake, perhaps, a screaming <laughs> mandrake. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I think those look tasty. Those goddamn things terrify they are me. They're horrific, aren't they? <laughs> I, I've, I've actually been liking cooking during lockdown. Oh, what have you been, what have you been cooking up, babe? Well, we've been getting those food delivery boxes. Oh, um, we got some of those, well, yeah. Well, like a HelloFresh yeah. sort of business. I was, well, I wasn't going to give them any advertisement until they cough up the dimes and sponsor the pod. Then I will yeah. cut um, that out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, no, no, we've got here, grassroots, cough up the dimes, sponsor the pod. Mindful yeah. chef, fresh, hello, fresh. We're looking at you. All Sorry. of you. Yeah, yeah. And and I've been Instagramming all of my lovely creations. I have seen actually. I've seen yeah. you. You've been you've been busy I'm, in the kitchen. But I like, I like. I've been enjoying cooking. It's been giving me some something to do, and I always take much longer than I'm meant to to do it. Yeah. Because I like chopping things meticulously. I imagine Miriam would be like that, wanting to make sure everything was chopped before you started cooking. Yeah. And it's so- bowls so the red onions in one bowl and the tomatoes in the other and all the spices laid out like i imagine that that would be be Marin. yeah she'd like to start from a clean slate and then really get into oh. it yeah she's a vegetarian you're absolutely right so it would have been veggie uh, she's never looked back since going veggie telling the sydney morning herald that since giving up meat her shit doesn't stink <laughs> <laughs> potentially it could have been an onion as she's prone to eating one like an apple <laughs> So oh yes. We might have just given you a raw onion. So maybe thank you, lucky stars. But this is on for the a lockdown. <laughs> no, we would not have, we would have given you a multi course vegetarian spread. Well, by the sounds of it, got you to cook it because that's yeah, great. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. I'm going to be checking out your Instagram yeah. in the break. Great. We'll have a little breaky. <laughs> 
And we're back. Uh, Miriam, fittingly for someone who's made a reputation on being outspoken, uh, became successful first as a voice actress. She voiced the soft porn audio Sexy Sonia, Leaves from My Schoolgirl Notebook, and was the voice of the very confusing Cadbury's Caramel Bunny. Uh, Nancy, you've got a lovely tone. What would you be the voice of? See, I always hate the sound of my voice. Oh, I love your voice. Oh, that's very kind, Holly. But yeah, I hate watching myself back on any sort of performance yeah, or video. Yeah, me too, yeah. And um, I've recently been having to, you know, do all these per- recorded performances. Yeah. One coming up is um, is um, Michael Ball's One Step Out of Time from Eurovision, where he came second. Oh, that's my favourite all-time Eurovision song. <laughs> um, yeah, I just, I don't, I don't like my voice, but I could... As a voiceover, I'm not quite sure. I've never... I always wondered how, what, what you had to do to get a career as a voiceover artist. Oh, God, you're telling me. Yeah, I'm still wondering. <laughs> Fuck knows. Um, I, I think it's a little bit... Um, it does seem to be a little bit... Like, once you get one, you get all of them, doesn't it? It's like... <laughs> Honestly, wouldn't know. <laughs> I'm just going from, like, you know, Olivia Coleman sort of did everything for a couple of years, didn't she? And, mm. and David Tennant used to be the voice of things. I would have said, because it's one of my favourite um, snacks, uh, I would like to be the voiceover of the Premier Cheese um, advert. Oh, but now, now not so much, now that they're food poisoning people and they've recalled all their products. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, a gig's a gig, but can you imagine? Yeah, I don't think it would be the voice of food poisoning, yeah, to be honest. Yeah, the voice of Listeria. <laughs> Lovely. In radio and voice work, Miriam could play anyone that she wanted. Vocally, I've never been typecast or had any limitations, she says. I even played Cleopatra. (laughs) However, on screen, her roles as a young woman ran a relatively limited gamut between the sex worker Elephant Ethel in the 1977 film Stand Up Virgin Soldiers and Blackadder's obsessively puritanical aunt. Despite the puritanical nature of the character, Tony Robinson, Baldrick and Relic Fancier remembers her arriving late to the read-through, declaring that she had been wanking off a park warden. There you go. She's got form. She's got form. I think that that is a version of a different story which I've heard her tell. Tell? I think she tells it on Graham Norton, where she says that at the Edinburgh Festival, is this right? Yes, in the meadows. She was walking through the meadows and she heard a rustling. And up a tree was a soldier having a whack. And she offered to finish him off. (laughs) When she expands on it, she's sort of like, and I said, you know, now, now, you're a soldier. You've got, you've got to have a bit more form than that, a bit more decorum than that. We can't have people finding you in trees doing this. <laughs> and it's just, I think it's true as well, because when Theroux, like, probes her a bit about it, and she's like, he's like, well, that doesn't seem to make any sense. Why was he in the tree? And she was like, well, I think he didn't want to be seen. And he went, well, you saw him. She went, no, I heard him. <laughs> <laughs> so like and it's like that like so she's got the recall crucial I think which is the crucial fact that she had the recall of either of her own story or of the memory sorry to be a Pollyanna about this but like go. if you're going to wank in a tree doesn't that require I mean, what was he hanging on with his legs like you, you don't need both hands for a wank <laughs> <laughs> I mean he probably sat on a branch sat like, on a secure branch yeah leg wrapped round one hand hanging on the other hand holding onto the tree right <laughs> i guess yeah it's just it just feels like given the number of places that people have sex outdoors yeah i didn't in edinburgh certainly i didn't think up a tree was one of them <laughs> i just i think well, i generally if you're gonna have sex outside you 
I, I've, no, I've not heard of many people up trees. He wasn't having no. sex. <laughs> Sorry, I keep forgetting. <laughs> Do we need to go through the story again? <laughs> There's not many details to it. What, what, did he come down from the tree so she could finish him off? No, he came down somewhere. Right? Hey-o. Hey-o. <laughs> I presume so. I don't think she would have. Cl- I think she would have mentioned it if she climbed she up. Climbed up to- I really hope she didn't climb up the tree to like pick him off. Like that's just that's just too much effort. It's the next level, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Well, I do. So hang on. So I'm just circling back then to our original point. Yeah. Is this the same story, or is this the? I think it's different. Stories. One of two people that she's whacked off in a park. Yeah, I wouldn't I, unless they did the read through of Blackadder in Edinburgh, which I wouldn't have thought they would have done, would they? Would it probably been down here? Or she's just been trotting out wanking someone off. Bit of part stories. I mean, you know yourself that when you're a comedian, things grow arms and legs. And yes. For much nicer stories um, with a certain air about them. Um, so, yeah, maybe it's just the same story. Yeah. I, I can't imagine Miriam wanking off two people. <laughs> I like the idea that the person that she wanked off there has, gra- has graduated as well. He's gone from part warden. That's to a civil authority. To soldier. <laughs> But a park warden, a park warden could, in some respects, be still wearing a bit of a soldiery outfit. Yeah. A park, a park warden in America would be wearing an outfit. That's, That's very, very true. true. Very, they, they get the respect they deserve. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> so Miriam's early sexual experiments with men and what she refers to as a great skill for giving oral pleasure. Actually, that was her forte rather than wanking people off. Apparently, uh, in her 20s, she described that as a bit, it was a bit of a bombshell when she discovered she was gay. Uh, she told The Guardian she was thrilled with this realisation. I think it gives you an identity because you can say, she puts on a grand voice, I am a lesbian. It put everything into place and it was fun. I still think it's an absolutely terrific thing to be, which is good because it's not going to change. Uh, Nancy, as an agony aunt, is it refreshing to hear a story from someone like Miriam who is so secure in and celebrative of her sexual identity? Absolutely. You know, there's so many agony ant stories that I get. Not that I would say, you know, I'm the the beacon of all knowledge and wisdom, <laughs> but a large proportion of the stories and questions that will come into me are about men who are insecure about their sexuality. Mm. Mm. And I do I, I enjoy when you get a straight woman who talks about her being so secure in her sexuality that you know, she might want to pop a finger in and that men just freak out of that. Yeah. So having Miriam be like, no, I'm a lesbian, and, you know, she's referred to herself as a dyke on national television, um, you know, that that's someone that's really secure in who they are. Yeah. And quite right. Oh, absolutely, to... yeah. And she does, she does use um, the word dyke, doesn't she, a lot uh, in her own... Uh, how she how she self identifies, and I guess um, that probably would be some people would see it as a slur, um, and she is taking it and reclaimed it and made it yeah. feel something very powerful to her. So yeah, her her sexuality does seem to be something that she um, has used for empowerment, obviously as it should be. But um, yeah, it, it is wonderful to hear her talk about like. No, I didn't, I didn't. I didn't struggle with it. The thing she struggled with was telling her parents, which we'll get mm. on to. At her school as well, because she went to an all-girls school. Yeah. Apparently, it wasn't. It never felt sort of stirrings or ideas that she might be able to mess around with other girls was never quite seen as uh, 
unusual or strange, mm. apparently, by a lot of uh, her peers and stuff. And so she didn't have that sort of early form of, am I doing something wrong? Right, yeah. <clears throat> she never had a penis inside her. She never had, had penis Never had sex. a penis. In, well, presumably orally, but yeah. not inside her. Well, there you go. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> I heard that from her, by the way. I've, yeah, yeah. I've not, uh, <laughs> yeah. I've not done the math. <laughs> so Miriam's coming out journey was not all plain sailing. Uh, her relationship with her parents, as their only child, was almost obsessively intimate and very, very close. And uh, when she came out at the age of twenty-seven, uh, it hurt them very much. She said her mother suffered a stroke a few months later, for which Miriam has always felt in some way responsible, believing that uh, in some way coming out triggered it. I mean, that's just. What a feeling to carry around with you. Horrible. Well, you gave your mum a stroke because of who you are. Yeah. Yeah. It's awful. Um, it's very clearly not true as well. Yeah, like that, exactly. Oh, yeah. You know, it's just one of those awful coincidences that she seems to have has deeply emotionally scarred her. Yeah. God love her. Uh, Miriam and her close friend Ian McKellen have very differing opinions about coming out. He feels that you should come out to give encouragement to others. And I say it depends who you're coming out to. It hurt them too much and it didn't please me particularly, so I think it was an error. Saddened by their reaction, she was not angry at their lack of acceptance, saying, They came from a world which could not adapt and that's sad. It's their tragedy, but it didn't become my tragedy. Uh, Nancy, obviously everyone's coming out journey is unique to them. Uh, I wondered if you did have any words of wisdom or encouragement that you could potentially share with people who might be struggling with uh, self-acceptance or telling family members about who they are. You know, my coming out story was horrific. Was it? Oh, God. I'm sorry. In a, it, not in a way that you think. <laughs> um, I, I was one of those people that, that, that always feared coming out because of what my parents or grandparents would say. Mm. Even though I've got lesbian aunties, my granddad's best friend was a flamboyantly gay man. You know, there was lots of gays around the family. Sure. So I shouldn't have been worried. And then I just got ca- caught watching gay porn in the living room mm-hmm. when I was 14. And that was my coming out. What do you say to your mum when she's caught you <laughs> with your hands down your trousers? Yeah. I was I... trying to find the remote. <laughs> I was, I, 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 she ran up the stairs and I was like, mum, I've got something to tell you. I'm gay. And she's like, I don't care. Just don't be watching that disgusting thing in the living room. Oh, God. <laughs> you oh. were outed by circumstance. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Well, oh. So when, when you then ask me profound questions like that, um, it's, very, <laughs> um, it's very difficult to give serious advice to people. <laughs> well, I guess you, you, you know, um, you're living yeah, other, the way other, you do. Other than I think, you know, just people have to own it and want to come out and nobody should feel forced to come out. You know? Yeah. Uh, uh, there, there, is, there is circumstance which will make you forced to come out. Another one of Miriam's... Um, good uh, interviews is obviously with Philip Schofield and mm. there's a situation of someone that has recently come out and you know under quite um quite forced forced circumstances mm. um, and I think the media has a big role to play in normalizing coming out as yeah. not news that's one one thing yeah and headlines that say openly gay John like are just as opposed to being what like openly straight you don't see yeah. any any headlines that say openly straight yeah exactly performatively straight couple walk yeah. down the street yeah. Andrew Scott's come out about that recently hasn't he yeah he, said he detests being called openly gay actor mm. he says I'm just a fucking actor yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah um 
Yeah, and I guess he's making a distinction, isn't he, about Hollywood, which is still incredibly closeted. Um, and him being uh, honest about who he is 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 sadly a bit of an anomaly. Uh, but you're right, we, we need to get... There will hopefully, within all of our lifetimes, there'll be a time where coming out is something that doesn't have to happen. Um, but yeah, I think Miriam... Is, I love how frank she is about a difference of opinion as well uh, with Ian McKellen there being like, he feels this way, I feel that way. We're both gay. We're, both we're, both uh, sides are valid. Yeah. Both arguments are valid because, like Imagine you said... Imagine being able to agree to disagree. It doesn't feel like that's possible anymore. Yeah, I know, Honestly, right? Yeah. yeah it's, it's starting to seem like it's not. So Miriam has been with her partner, an Australian academic who prefers not to be named in interviews and press for nearly 52 years. That's a lovely relationship. Isn't time. it? 52, 52 years. 52. Let's just let that settle. <laughs> they don't see each other very much, though, do they? No. Um, no, they don't. Uh, they were introduced by one of Miriam's school friends, who she had just come out to in a letter. She'd written her a letter. And her friend wrote back, oh, I know a lesbian. And, and she thought that we would obviously gravitate. And we did. Like she was, oh... Uh, my cousin's Canadian. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Do you know him? <laughs> oh, it's that slightly annoying thing, I guess, isn't it? Of being like, oh, I've got two people who happen to have the same sexuality, so I think they'll definitely be together. But in this case, they actually were. So it was like, you can't yeah. really be annoyed when she fixed you up with your life partner. But Absolutely. Still. Um, this is one of the strange things. It's just reminded me that there's a really good episode of You're Wrong About. Oh, yeah. Uh, where they talked about Stonewall. And they were saying, in terms of the sexuality, because of the way, you know, the way human beings are, it's why the gay community or the LGBTQ plus community has always really struggled with something like Stonewall because it is one of those aspects of who you are as a person that transcends almost everything else about who you are as a person. Like so many different types of people are LGBTQ plus. So trying to bring all those people into one place to agree on one thing or a a way forward or a, a way to tackle an issue or something like that is almost impossible because there are, yeah, there's so many different types of people that can be LGBTQ plus. Yeah. Have you found that with your with your work, actually, Nancy, at all? I, I think there's, there's a couple of schools of thought where some people will um, believe that they are able to represent a community or a population just because of their lived experience. Mm. And in, in, you know, the world of HIV, we talk about this a lot because an organisation like HIV Scotland is able to represent um, people living with HIV because all of our work um, is about engaging with people living with HIV and understanding the experiences and also collating that with research and findings. And, but there are there's no singular experience to a lot of these things. There's mm-hmm. no singular experience of someone living with HIV. So no one individual can represent others. They can represent people living with HIV in a way, but it makes it really difficult to say, oh, well, this is this is your representation of how you've experienced things. Mm. Um, and I think that's that's the challenge is, and you see this in LGBT politics as well, where there'll be almost unelected um, leaders in an LGBT community that then, you know, in, in some ways can, can become polarizing because they think they're talking on behalf of communities that are so diverse and you just need to not hang back into organisations that have institutional memory and knowledge and understanding as mm. opposed to individuals with an ego that plan to represent people that they can. That's such a good way of putting such, it. Yeah. That's really Thank you for uh, that. eloquent. 
Mary and her partner don't live together. Her partner lives in the Netherlands, and they only see each other about eight times a year, but they speak every day and are utterly devoted to each other. She said, I can't imagine life without her. She's two years younger than me, supposing she died. I just can't imagine the void. Oh, God. Oh. After 52 years. Only eight times a year, though. I mean, that's, that is amazing, but yeah. I guess if it works for you, it works for you, right? Yeah, Whatever exactly. keeps you, it obviously does. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, so back to Miriam's professional life. Um, I'm interested in casting in general. I've given up on generally being cast. Uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> well, though my agent has just rung, so you never know. Uh, Miriam has said some really interesting things about being a, quote, character actress. Uh, reflecting on her early career, she said, now I'm older, it's more acceptable not to be slim and beautiful. I was always told I would come into my own, whatever that might mean, when I was older. And in the sense I've got more work, that's true. I now fit more readily into the older character actress mould. So her moment came in 1988 when she won an LA Critics Circle Award for her role in Little Dorrit. Then, seeing that they had chat show gold, a publicist got her on the Katie Couric morning show for an interview. Johnny Carson saw that and invited her onto The Tonight Show and the US fell at her feet. Yeah, I saw what we all see. Uh, she was fated for her role in Martin Scorsese's The Age of Innocence with Michelle Pfeiffer, Winona Ryder and Daniel Day-Lewis. Speaking of the experience, she said... In fact, I knew Dan's mother because we both had our wombs out in the same ward. I liked him very much, but he does hold his character off screen and that's a bit disconcerting. I know when he played Christy Brown in My Left Foot, he expected Fiona Shaw to wipe his bottom. It didn't happen. <laughs> Love that she refers to it as just having a womb out. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I was having my womb out. Uh... <laughs> Is it hysterectomy? Yeah, my womb out. <laughs> I, just, I was in the ward. They're whipping my womb out. And then uh, Daniel Day Lewis's mum was in the next bed to me. Uh, Nance, what, what do you what do you have to say about method acting? <laughs> I, I, can't, I can't imagine that Miriam's a method actor. I can't imagine that she lives as a <laughs> Professor Sprout. <laughs> well, in a way. Oh, maybe. Yeah, Daniel. I can imagine why it works. Um, for some people and not for others. Yes, me too. Are you, are you a method act, actor, Holly? Oh God, I'm barely an actor. Uh, no, no, I, I, I can definitely see the merit of it. I guess if like, I mean that. I guess, but it's probably quite a diva thing to do, isn't it? But we should diva. probably support it. But you don't hear about a lot of female method actors, do you? No, I don't think it's a diva thing to do. I think it's a pretentious thing to do. Yeah, exactly. There is a definite distinction. I mean. Yeah. Sorry, a very method, darling. Method. A method, yeah. Patty Lapone doesn't do method. No. Glenn does method. Yeah. Uh, Glenn Close, maybe. No, Glenn Close just walks about as herself all the time. (laughs) Yeah. I suppose, as well, Miriam probably is one of those sort of people that has probably largely played more parts that that feel more like Like herself. Like Miriam. Yeah. Yeah, she brings Miriam to the role. Yeah. Those are very similar names. All of her. All of her. Parts have very similar names. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Was Mrs. Mingott in The Age of Innocence. She was what well, Madame Mother Mildred in Call the Midwife. Yes. Madame Morit Morrible oh, yeah. in Wicked. Always goes oh. for the M name. Miriam yeah. Margulies. <laughs> <laughs> just call it Miriam Margulies. Can we just call her Miriam Margulies? She's probably getting on set and they've got a completely different name and she's going, Can we just call my character Miriam Margulies? And they're like, Not really, but I suppose we could I always thought her name was actually Miriam Margoyles. Yeah, me too. I did too. Yeah, yeah. for years. Yeah, mm. she's um, she's the inspiration for uh, David Walliams's awful auntie, apparently. 
Well, uh, who's David Williams' awful aunt? <laughs> it's one of his children's books, isn't it? Oh, it's the name of a book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he thinks he's rolled down. And it was, it was based on a bad experience that he had. Yeah, she was rude to him. Off her when he was rude. <laughs> Which I can just imagine her being rude and dismissive to him. Yeah. Because he's a twat. Because he's an absolute um, twat. <laughs> Yeah, I, I support her a lot and yeah. being rude to racists. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you yeah. go for your life, girl. So another great Margles, uh, Margulies. <laughs> Another great Margulies anecdote stems from the Schwarzenegger vehicle, End of Days. I played the devil's servant, Mabel. There you go, another M. (laughs) I had my throat sliced by a glass table at the end, and I remember Arnold Schwarzenegger farted right in my face when I was down on the floor, trying not to move. I shouted, fuck you, Arnie. I was really cross. I bet she was. (laughs) Outrageous. Farting in your co-star's face. (laughs) What do you expect from a Republican? Uh, a fabulous turn in James and the Giant Peach and her role in that one about the wizards that we all remember uh, have cemented her oh. beloved status amongst our generation coupled with the anecdotes which are let's face it generally about bums and fucking uh, which have <laughs> made wanking, wanking of various men in various paths which have made her a national treasure we all know and love uh, however she is not an uncontroversial national treasure by any means she is staunchly left wing and her vociferous criticism of the Israeli government has she says lost her many friends it's because I say things about Israel that I consider true. If I think something is wrong, I will say it, whoever is doing it. Just last week, she was cleared by Ofcom for comments that she made in an appearance on the last leg from her kitchen during lockdown. She quite... What's the last leg? It's a comedy show on Channel 4, is Comedy there? show about... Well, it's called sort of sporty comedy show with Adam Hill. Oh, is it Adam like um, that thing that James Corden does? League of Their Own? No. Sports. Who gives a fuck? Men. <laughs> it's usually all men. Yeah. It's like men, men, men. Yeah. So true. Know. It's also on Channel 4 and adverts. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so she quite rightly described the government's handling of the coronavirus crisis as a disgrace and a public scandal, saying in full, I had difficulty not wanting Boris Johnson to die. I wanted him to die. And then I thought that reflects badly on me. And I don't want to be the sort of person who wants people to die. So then I wanted him to get better, which he did do. He did get better, but he didn't get better as a human being, and I really would prefer that. This resulted in 494 complaints and widespread reporting in the media and led to an initial investigation by Ofcom, which has now decided that Miriam will not face an official investigation. Quite right, because otherwise she's, it was not a death threat. She's, why should she censor her opinion? She verbalised what I'm sure many, many people were thinking but didn't know how to put into words that would make it sound as respectful, actually, as as Miriam's did, you know. She goes through the full circle of, of, you know, and I'm I'm sure she is not the only person that thought in that moment, and I know for a fact she's not because you saw all the people on Twitter actually saying much worse things when he went into hospital. Yeah. And and she's just verbalising what, I think her, her thought process was, and, and you can't investigate someone for that. No, absolutely, because you get into, like, thought police then, don't you? She was just sharing exactly something that I think a lot of us related to. So I'm really pleased that that hasn't 
And also, of those 494 people complaining, you can guarantee that those are the fuckers that are probably saying, like, all the thought police are coming to get us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what they're trying to do, is police hurt us. Yeah. Um, 494 is not even that much. It's not really, is it? That's not many complaints. No. In a country of, what, 60 million people? Yeah. Have I made that up? God. And most of them probably didn't even watch the TV show. Like, yeah, exactly. They never do, though, do they? No. The ones that actually no. complain. No, it'll just be like, oh, that, that lefty lefty woman, Let's. She's how dare she say something about our glorious leader, let's get on the, on the blower. It's probably in the fucking Daily Mail, wasn't it, or something? Pro- they, I think it said. was. It was in all the press, wasn't it? So that's what whipped it up. Probably the producers the last leg, because... No one watches it, apparently. If you head over to miriammargulies.com, and I would urge you to do so, as it is very much self-curated, and I'm absolutely here for it, uh, you will be able to buy a copy of Dickens's Women, which is the accompanying book to her Tour de Force one-woman show. I love a diva who does a one-woman show. And you can also browse her property portfolio. Have you ever wanted to stay in a crime scene? Well, now you can. <laughs> Gun Emplacement Cottage, a holiday cottage above the White Cliffs of Dover, was rented by a drug cartel to drop off by a helicopter a load of gack with an estimated wholesale value of £17 million. <laughs> if you were an international drug cartel, why pick one of Miriam Margulies's holiday homes? I don't think they picked it because it was hers. Well, I... <laughs> I don't think drug dealers watch Harry Potter. <laughs> Why? But, how did they find it? Why there? I guess it was, it, it was large enough for a... Can you imagine doctor. choosing someone else's? You <laughs> would just know, like, that actually, choosing Miriam's house was kind of epic <laughs> of, of, for them. You know, someone that is not going to be driving to check up on you. Yes, um, that's that, true. But probably listen to anything that you say. <laughs> um, they probably just sent someone down to take her out for tea um, <laughs> while they were doing it to, to, to make sure she was looked after. What's that up there? That helicopter? Don't look at it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Nothing there. Nothing to see. Speaking of places by the sea, we haven't got into this. It's not been in the script. We didn't mention it at the beginning. Please tell us your story about Jane McDonald. Oh, my God. Yes, please. Oh. Well, I, I was talking about GY Heaven. Yeah. And it was in this place that I um, had my, probably my most up-close-and-personal diva moment. <gasps> when I was um, the one of three backing singers for Jane McDonald during her live performance at Heaven Iconic. on a Saturday night in front of three and a half thousand people. Amazing. And what, was she, she, what did she, she smell like? Yeah. I, well, Heaven always smells like a toilet anyway. So <laughs> I, 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 I hope it wasn't her. Um, <laughs> the, the sound check was epic. It was the first time that I'd ever been at a sound check of someone and realised that um, they mine oh. some of the songs. Oh, oh Jane. Um, I mean, quite an epic mine. And, and it was only and I'm telling you, which having sang that, I know why. Yeah, she's a big singer. Um, but we were the backing singer for her disco medley, so we had some nice, um, nice some moves. dance moves. Oh. And, and we were down the front singing with her at the chorus. It was a lot of fun. And then she invited us to her next show and then never spoke to us again. <laughs> and isn't that a real brush with a diva? <laughs> she lets you get close and then she pushes you away forever. <laughs> but what a time. I know that there, there are other divas that have done similar. I don't know if you remember the Adele at the BBC when she launched her new album. Oh, yeah. And yeah. she, um, one of my friends was one of, one of the Adele's. 
Um, and she apparently was so lovely when she was there and invited them all to her live show and then never followed through. <gasps> oh, is that that footage when they're all when they're all the Adele impersonators and she's there in disguise? Yes. Oh, my God. Oh, Adele. Yeah. Do better, Adele. She's busy. She's busy, but come on. Send an email. She's busy, but she's got people, and she's looking fabulous. She is. True that. I loved her before as well. But, yeah, send an email. Send an email, Adele. It's not too late. Yeah. Send an email to us, Adele, if you're listening. Actually, yeah. BigDeverEnergyPod.com. Yeah. Adele. (laughs) Welcome to Big Diver Energy, sponsored this week by Adele. (laughs) She's from Tottenham. She is from Tottenham. We could really push the Tottenham angle. <laughs> Let's get in touch with Adele and be like, we're a Tottenham uh, community-based yeah. <laughs> podcast uh, recording in Tottenham, which we Did know we you're from. Tottenham? We'll do an episode on you. You could be uh, your own guest. You're talking about yourself. Oh my, oh my God, could you imagine having Adele discussing... Adele on the Big Diva podcast. Oh my god, it would be it would be my absolute world. If she's willing to dress up as one of her own impersonators. She should be willing to talk about herself <laughs> on a Diva podcast. Uh, maybe we could reunite her with your friend as well. Oh, yeah. surprise! Guess who's also here? Yeah, <laughs> what, she wants her tickets. <laughs> yes, we know you're not gigging at the moment, but she wants something. Free album? Come on. What have you got? <laughs> Well, that brings us basically up to date with the inimitable, the incorrigible, the sometimes incontinent Miriam Margulies. Hurry up and dame her already. Get her damed. She's. To, I think she's got to be in the next round. <laughs> next well, round. I wonder if she's one of the people that would refuse. She I might, mean, you know. She, she, well, she's got to be, though, so potentially, you know, that would be, that's your next link. But she is the kind of person, I think, that would say, especially when, Boris is Prime Minister. Yeah, she Absolutely. wouldn't want that, would she, no. You know, if it was a Labour Prime Minister that was that was putting her forward, then I could potentially see her accepting mm. it, but, yeah. Especially if it was a lovely-looking uh, middle-aged man like Sir Keir. Sir Keir. Oh, yeah. I'd love to get a knighthood from him. Would you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, well, one day. He's like a fine wine, he's got better with age. He has, to be fair. Because he looked like a spiv <laughs> back in the day. <laughs> And that brings us to plugs and hugs, my darling. Digital hugs. What are your plugs? Oh, that's so difficult. Well, by the time that this podcast airs, you'll be able to catch up on HM Scotland Live and Lockdown yes. 2 on YouTube, which is a show of over 40 people. Um, and I'm sure that um, Nancy Clange Agony Ant will be back live on Facebook, Twitter and YouTube at some point in the future. Amazing. Do you have a website we can direct people towards or do you just generally use the, the tweets and the social media? I ones? use Twitter, Facebook and www.nancyclange.net. Great. What's your Twitter handle? Uh, Nancy Clange. Excellent. Ooh, nice. You know what to find Amazing. Great Well, stuff. thank you so much. It's been it's such been a, a dream. Thank you, oh, you absolute dream. Uh, we hope you have enjoyed this episode of BDE. If you did and you want to reach out and say, hey girl, maybe even share your Margulies related stories, you can at Diva Energy on Twitter, at Big Diva Energy on Insta, and email us at BigDivaEnergyPod at gmail.com. This podcast is a Dark Mutters production. If you thought we were the caramel bunny of pods, then don't forget to like and subscribe. Alternatively, if you think we were more a Coke cartel using your rental home as a helipad, get, get in, in the, the sea! sea! Okay, oh. bye everyone! Bye! bye. Bye.